Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We are a warm and vibrant gospel-centered church with campuses in the Philadelphia region, passionate about the gospel, community, and discipleship. If you'd like to learn more about joining our community or would like to give to our ministry, please visit us at metrophilly.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. You can also follow along on page 8 of your bulletin. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. For the past, uh, for the past month, a week, uh, we began a new series on how the gospel shapes our relationship with money. And afterwards, if you were here last week, you heard about a new campaign that's going to require the entire church to get behind. Now, today's passage comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You need to know the Sermon on the Mount is a series of teachings uh, by Jesus about what it would look like if you took the gospel, the gospel actually went deeper into your life, if you actually get the gospel. And Jesus says that one of the things that it does is it changes your relationship with your money. It changes your relationship with your material possessions. Now, notice, sandwiched between, uh, there are three sections in this passage. Sandwiched between two of these sections, verses 19 to 21, Jesus is talking about money. Verse 24, Jesus is talking about money. But sandwiched in between verses 22 and 23 is this lesson about our eyes. What's Jesus doing here? He's saying that there's a relationship between money and what you see, your eyes. There's a relationship with money, between money and the blinding effect or the effect that it has on your eyes, which really are your soul. There are three things we're going to see today. One, that blinding effect of money. Secondly, the deceitfulness of money. Lastly, our freedom from the power of that blinding effect or that deceitfulness. The blinding effect of money, the deceitfulness of money, the freedom that we can have uh, from the power, uh, from the grip of money in our lives. Uh, and uh, so first we're going to look at the blinding effect of money. Verses 22 to 23, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Now that was taken from the New International Version, the 1984 edition of the New International Version. Uh, it's what we uh, uh, tend to read uh, from uh, in our church. Now if you took a look at another very popular edition, the English Standard Version, uh, the, author, the, the translation goes like this. If your eye is healthy, so if your eyes are good, if your eyes are healthy, or the King James Version, if your eye is single, if your eyes are singular, good, healthy, singular, 
the New American Standard Version of the Bible. That's probably the most literal translation of the Bible. It's actually a very technical translation. It says, if your eye is clear, as in there's a clear path, a singular path, there's no duplicity. In other words, if your eye is functional, if your eye is healthy, if your vision is healthy, there's no double vision, there's no duplicity there. If your eye is clear, you're going to take light in And the rest of your body then is able to navigate a room because it sees the path very, very clearly. It sees the path with clarity. But if you have poor vision, if you are blind, blindness is a condition where you're not able to see with clarity. There's a darkness in your eyes. There's a cloudiness in your eyes. And so there's no clear path. Maybe there's double vision. So now you're seeing two things when you should be seeing one thing. Your eye is dark, you see? And this is going to lead to great danger. The author is saying this is going to lead to great pain. Jesus is saying this is going to lead to you stumbling around. Uh, even if you're the, it's, it's broad as daylight, you're going to be stumbling around. You're not going to be able to navigate the great darknesses that exist in the world. Why is Jesus saying this? Now, in Luke chapter uh, 11 and Luke chapter 12, again, Jesus is teaching about money here. And he says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, be careful, he says. Focus. That you would see clearly. What's he warning us about? Jesus is saying, our money, our greed, has a blinding effect on our eye, on what we see. Greed is this condition where your desire for wealth Your dependence on wealth, your money, clouds your eyes and as a result, clouds your soul so you can't navigate life properly. You can't navigate life safely. And so when Jesus says, watch out, what he's saying is one of the intrinsic properties of greed is that you don't see it. You are blind to it. You're blind to the pathology. You're blind to the disease. You're blind to the condition of greed. Now think about this. Jesus doesn't warn us about all kinds of adultery. We said this last week. He doesn't warn us about all kinds of hate. Why not? Because it's not as destructive as greed? No. It's because it's not as deceptive as greed. Greed is much more, greed is much more nuanced, much more complex. Greed is much more, has much more of a, disturbing, a distorting effect on our soul. Because no one ever conceives the reality that they may be greedy. When they hear about greed, they're thinking about somebody else who's way more greedier than they. You see? And Jesus says, you need to watch out. Look, if you went to a doctor, and your doctor says, uh, your, your genetics, your body type, you're predisposed to cancer, a deadly form of cancer. And he says, you got to watch out. You would be all ears. You would do anything. You would run every test. You would run every diagnostic. You would go online. We all search online. You get online. Every sudden, everyone thinks that they're an expert, a researcher, a doctor. They're going to go online. You're going to seek every professional that you can. You're going to get every advice. You're going to get every second opinion. You're going to take every appointment. You're going to look at every scan, take every treatment. But when Jesus, the creator of the universe, says, watch out regarding your greed, we get offended. When's the last time you've run every test or every diagnostic with respect to your greed? When's the last time that you have, you have run through every test and every diagnostic with respect to your relationship with money? And Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That means we should be constantly looking out 
for our greed. We should be constantly sensing the urgency of look, for looking out against our greed. Remember, Jesus doesn't say, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of adultery or all kinds of lying or all kinds of stealing and all kinds of hate. And we see that and it's destructive, effect, destructive effects on our society. But he warns us of our greed, of all the things that he can warn us about. And the problem is this, we've lost the ability to diagnose our greed. We've lost the ability to even see our greed, to conceive our greed, and and to keep each other accountable with respect to our greed. When the best communities in the world are able to diagnose it and hold one one another accountable uh, to our relationship uh, with money. That's the blinding effect. Now, secondly, we have its deceitfulness. In verse 19, this is the first thing. Jesus says, do not, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, don't store it up. Money has this blinding power over us because we believe, oh, I need to work. I need to save. I, I, I'm not going to give at this stage of my life. This is a time to build. And, so, and it's because money promises us security here in this life. And that's a lie. Because uh, we're never meant to find that kind of security here in this life. That's the pathology. That's the disease. That's the deception. And look, I get it. I've worked in a corporate private sector for over 25 years, probably closer to 27 years. I get why it's so easy to store up treasures on earth. I mean, it feels like you are doing the work. It's tangible. It feels like you are the one getting up in the morning and working late nights and earning. You are the one that's building. It's tangible. It's palpable. You look at that bank account every two weeks or every month and you see the numbers go up or down. You see it. It's palpable. It's tangible. You've got goals and you can set them and you can save against that. You check your investments in your retirement portfolios and you see those numbers going up in a good season, down in a bad season. It's tangible. It's visible. You are storing up treasures on earth. It's visible, but you're overlooking something. There is a reality underneath that tangible, visible reality. And that reality is much larger, much longer, and more real. And and here we are. We think it's our hands. We think it's our success. That success is mine. I've earned this. When there's really a greater power, there's a greater power driving all of this. It's God. God is driving your success. God is, do you think you can work against God for success? If God doesn't want you to be successful, you're not going to be successful. No matter how gifted and powerful, no matter what family you grow up under, it doesn't matter. God is driving that success. God is giving that to you. God is being generous and he's pouring out abundant generosity into your visible reality using your gifts that he gave you. That's why it's called a gift. You see? And what he's saying is, I want you to trust me. I want you to invest in that larger, lasting, real reality. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived, he says. Secondly, Jesus says, don't, not only don't store up treasures on earth, he says, don't store up treasures on earth. What's a treasure? It's something that you protect. Something that you keep very, very close to you. Something that you've been looking for all your life, searching to uncover and to discover. And so it's really important to you. It defines you in a sense. It defines your quest in life. This is what I've been looking for. It's been, it, my life is empty without it, we say. It's going to give us a sense of identity, a sense of worth, a sense of meaning, purpose in life. For some of us, you know, it's not even really about the money. It's not even about the security. It's about the status that it gives us. It's about the approval that we earn. 
Maybe it's that we've been searching for the, for the, just the deep approval of our parents. And we're still clinging to that. By the way, that will ruin your soul. It will corrode your soul. Friends, let me talk to you like a brother. Let me talk to you like a father. I mean, I'm old enough to be some of your fathers. Um, and and let, me, let me talk to you like a father. That, will, that pr- pursuit will corrode your soul. That pursuit, the pursuing the approval of other people and that's why you're working so hard, that pursuit will corrode your soul. We pursue money and wealth. Why? Because sometimes it makes us feel beautiful. The things that we can earn and do nowadays and today with today's technology uh, to our bodies, to our faces, it makes us feel beautiful. Maybe it gives us a sense of control and power. You grew up, you didn't have a lot of control. You didn't have a lot of power. And now money gives you that sense of control and power. Somewhere down the road, you told yourself a long time ago, I will not put myself and my family under these circumstances or conditions. I will be in control of my life. That is a lie. And so we said, we need to work. We need to earn money. We need to build wealth because then I will feel like I arrived. That's the pathology. That's the deception. That's the disease. Jesus says in the very next passage, after this passage that we, we just read, he says, look at the lilies of the field. They don't labor. And yet God clothes them. And King Solomon, in all of his splendor, never dressed like them. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not clothe you? That's what Jesus challenges. Solomon was a king, a great king. He had incredible, just enormous wealth. And yet Jesus says, only God can truly make you beautiful. And if you need wealth to feel beautiful, that's not a sign of strength or power. That's a sign of weakness, you see? If you need wealth to feel beautiful or to feel important, to feel a sense of worth, then you're buying into the lie and you are going to work and work and buy and spend and save and become stingy and do all this for the lie to get in. To get in where? To get into the right schools, to get in the right job, to have the right career, to get into the right home, to get into the right neighborhood. And when you look to wealth to give you something that only God can truly provide, and that's the definition of sin, friends. Sin is much deeper than just a bad action. A lot of us here, I mean, I I, I assume here we're all upstanding citizens or we're trying to be. Sin is not about actions per se. It's about relying on something apart from God to give you something that only God can provide. That's what sin is. And when we place our dependence on our wealth in that way, it's going to shape you, you see? God says, I want you to cling to me. Then you're going to grow in my image. I created you. But if you abandon that and you let your wealth shape you, it's going to shape you into its image, turn you into an arrogant disconnected and lonely person that may garner some respect. You walk into the office, people look at you and say, that person is brilliant, but they don't love you. You may earn the respect of some. You will gain the love of none. And then you're really out anyways. All of that to get in, to get into the right school, the right job, the right career, the right home, the right neighborhood, to have the right family, and you're still out anyways. Who cares about what you make? Who cares what you own? Who cares what you buy? You're still out. You're still out. You see that? Money promises something that can never deliver. And in the end, we learn a very, very important truth. That what you love will shape you into its image and its character. So a love of money will shape you into its image. And that image is something apart from the image of God. Your greed will shape you. It will twist you and turn you into something less human, all the while promising you that you'll become better human, more human, you see? It's a lie. 
It's deceit, the deceit of money. And whatever it provides at the end of the day, maybe in the short term, it does provide some sort of fulfillment. I mean, otherwise, we wouldn't be pursuing it. There's some instant gratification when you have it. When you don't, it brings you into anxiety and sometimes despair. It'll never last. Moths and rust will destroy. It's like a thief will come in and steal from you because it's never enough. You never feel like you have enough. That's the lie. It will steal your life and it will corrode your soul. And so you're going to need, you always need to invest more, make more, take more. You're never going to give. You're going to save more. You're going to become stingy. You're going to work harder because if money is the source of that life that you want, then you're going to need more. You're going to work harder. Friends, you know what slavery is? Slavery is when you can't choose when to work and when to stop working. So if you feel that constant need to work and produce and and make and take and grow and build, you're not gaining freedom. You're actually becoming a slave. And money is your master. Verse 19, he says, don't store treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. In other words, you thought that you could earn enough money to just last forever. You thought that money is going to give you a lasting sense of security, a lasting sense of worth, and that is the lie. Think about how silly it is. It's incredibly silly to say, if I have wealth, then I'm safe. Safe from what? Money doesn't have that kind of power. Safe from what? Safe from cancer? There isn't a single amount of money that you can store up in the world that can save you from cancer, from, from preventing cancer. Safe from tragedy and accidents? Safe from aging? Safe from heartbreak? Safe from gossip? Safe from loss? The fact is that, that your wealth can't do anything to preserve any of the things that, you re- that really matter in your life. Your health, your love, the people, your relationships, your character. Having money might make life a little bit more convenient. That's without a doubt. But let me ask you this. Is that what makes your life difficult? Because it's less convenient? No. It's illness and death, a broken heart, the loss of people that you love, your relationships, broken relationships, broken families. I mean, these things wreak havoc in our lives decades after even the the circumstances are gone. Violence, crime, circumstantial evil, apart from just general evil altogether. Money can't cure any of these things. In fact, many times money can make it worse. If you treasure your wealth, it will wear out, it won't last, moths and rust will destroy, and it will wear you out. In other words, money promises eternity, Money promises the illusion of security and power and control in a world where in a second, something can happen to show you that your life is spun out of control. You've never had control in the first place. That it's a dangerous, violent world we live in and you are never secure, nothing lasts. You never had any power. You never had any control. And yet in verse 21, Jesus says, that's why where your treasure is, your heart will be. In other words, you will still do anything for the thing that you treasure. In this kind of broken, insecure, unsafe world, we still are buying into the illusion 
that we can have security and safety. And we will do anything that we treasure. If I have that thing, then I'm safe. If I have that thing, then I have worth. If I have that thing, then I'm going to be okay. To be singular, we're going to give anything for that. We're singularly devoted to that. We will give anything for it. We will die for it. Verse 24, that's why, this is why he says you can't serve both God and money. You can't, be, you can't take a singular devotion. That's double vision. There's no way that you can navigate life being devoted to two things in your life. You're constantly going to be tugged and pulled and you're going to be in the wrong lane at times and you're, you're constantly going to stumble and trip over yourself because you're not seeing clearly, you see. He says you, it just, it's just not possible to serve two. You're going to hate the one, love the other. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. To be singularly devoted, to work towards it, to sweat for it, to serve it, to give yourself to it. The Bible says deep inside we all have something that we absolutely treasure. And we are going to bind ourselves to that thing. This is what gives me a sense of worth and meaning. And, and this is the thing that you're going to live for it and you'd be willing to die for it. It's the thing that's going to shape you, own you, and apart from God, it will twist you and corrode you. You will become a slave to it. All the while you think it's bringing you freedom, you're actually becoming a slave. How can we be free? In verse 19, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's saying, don't invest in these things that are not going to last. Don't invest in these things that are not going to give you a sense of worth. Look, I can safely say this. Everyone here will gladly be willing to pay. You have, in your plans, in your roadmap of success, you will be willing to pay and do anything and everything for your education, for your clothing, for your home, the neighborhood you want to live in, the people you want to be around, your retirement. We have dreams and visions of how that's going to look, the kind of family that you want to have. And Jesus is saying, none of these things are going to last. But because you've bought into that lie, you're saying, this is my life. This is the life that I want to have. You think it's going to last. You think this is all there is to live for. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. It's not. Don't buy into that grave error. What I want you to do is I want you to invest in your relationship with God. I want you to invest in heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I want you to invest in the gospel. One, he's saying it's a treasure. We need to protect it. We need to love it. We need to say that this is the thing that I've been searching for. And because of that, it's the most precious treasure. Nothing can destroy it. It's going to last forever. And so that means that the gospel is the security that you've been looking for. You know why we're pursuing security all our lives? We're constantly working for it. We're constantly building shelters and, and barriers so that we can be safe. Deep inside, the heart is saying you are unsafe. Ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, where there is safety and security and worth and love and intimacy, Ever since they've been kicked out, we've been looking for it all our lives. We're trying to recreate the garden without God. Because that's how we're going to find security. If I can just build this kind of world, even if it's apart from God, for a time being, then I'll give. We tell that lie ourselves all the time. Then I'll, I'll give. If I can just get to that place, then I'll start giving. Friends, you know what the tithe, you know what the tithe and why it's challenging the tithe, 10% of your salary, is challenging for anybody. Because think about it. Whether you're making $30,000 a year or $300 million a year, 
10% of what you have is a lot of money. It equalizes your loves. It brings to light what you really love in your life. You see? And the gospel says, I mean, Jesus says, that's why if you invest in the gospel, if you invest in, in heaven, your treasures in heaven, that is your security. That is a worthy foundation because it's never going to fade, which means only the gospel truly assures you of a lasting life, a lasting worth, a lasting security, the ultimate identity, a lasting sense, the ultimate sense of beauty. I'm going to say it like this. One day, your life is either going to burst. All of our lives are going to burst at some point. And one day, your life is either going to burst into eternal life. That's like the real life. Like this is just a shadow, ups and downs, ebbs and flows, losses and gains, laughter and sorrow. And, and somewhere in there, you're going to net out. You're just going to live and persevere and endure. You're going to live in faith. And what happens is it's going to burst you one day. One day, as your life gets frail, as your body is torn down, people are going to be gathered around you and your life is just going to waste away. It looks like moths and rust are destroying. But what, you know what's going to happen? Because you've lived a lasting security and you have a lasting sense of worth in heaven, you've invested in storage treasures in heaven all the while your body is wasting away your life is eventually going to burst into the ultimate security the ultimate sense of worth you're going to be you're going to be connected once and for all face to face in person with your creator and you're going to be it, you are going to be one with him and there's no darkness and that means that because you've invested you've stored uh, up your lives in heaven which never fades it's eternal it's going to burst you into the ultimate security. Or you're investing currently into something that's going to waste away. It's the ultimate stock bust. The ultimate failed investment. Life. And you're putting your whole life into that basket. That is the eternal rust. That is the real destruction. And so you're either going to live a life that either corrodes you into the ultimate corrosion or you're going to live your life that's going to burst you, a life of security that's going to burst you into the ultimate security. You're either going to live with a sense of worth and beauty that's going to burst you into the ultimate sense of worth and beauty, one with the Father. This is beauty. This is ultimate beauty, capital B. Or your life is going to ebb into and burst you into a life of the ultimate ugliness, the ultimate darkness. And yet every other treasure except Jesus insists that you work for it. Jesus is the only treasure that actually ever worked for you. He did everything and accomplished everything for you. Every other treasure except Jesus insists that you die for it. Jesus is the only treasure that insists that he will die for you. Jesus is the only treasure that actually died for you. My favorite hymn, he left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's uh, helpless race. Look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus had everything. He invested, if you want to talk about the one person in the entire universe who invested in heaven, he had the title. He had the significance. He was the heir to the kingdom of God. So that means he had ultimate power, ultimate authority, ultimate status, ultimate honor, which means he had ultimate wealth, which means he had ultimate worth. He was the most worthy person in the entire universe. And yet, you know what he tithed? He gave it all up. 
He didn't just give 10%. When he looked at what was breaking down, when he looked at the condition and the state of what was created, he didn't sit there and pull out a calculator and say, how much can I give without losing the things that I value the most? No, he gave it all up. He gave it all up. He emptied himself of all but love. And so he didn't just have the kingdom of God, he had God. He was one with the Father. The ultimate richness was not the throne. It was not the kingdom. It was not his status or his honor or the glory that he received. It was his oneness in the Father. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. We are one. That was his center. This was his ultimate treasure, what he protected, what he loved supremely, what he was singularly devoted to. And that means that he had God's love. He had God's security. This is the ultimate security. He had eternity, and he had it for all time. This means this is the fullest measure of his worth. It was stored up as treasures in heaven, but he left his father's throne above. He gave it all up. He tithed it all. And so he was born in a manger, lived in poverty, and never once did he complain, you know, I, could, I deserve more than this. Never once did he look at another person who was wealthier and say, I can outdo him. Never once did he sit there and say, but for my parents, in an an agrarian society where your family was everything, he never sat there and said, I should make more of myself. I have potential here. This is my potential. He never said that. Not once. Not once did he sit there and look at his misfortune and say, I got to do something about this. I got to do more because then he would become blind. Then he would be buying into the deceit of money. It was all stored. He still stored all of his treasure in heaven. Well, then why did he come? On the cross, what do you see? You see Jesus laboring. And you see him sweating. Oh, and you see him weeping. And you see him bleeding. And everyone around him is saying, you're a loser. You are a failure. He had potential. He squandered it all. And now he's defeated. And yet he endured the mockery of the people around him. They said, if you really are who you say you are, if you really are how wealthy you are, you say you are, if you really are that, then come down and show us, prove it to us. And he resisted that temptation. And he gave himself up to death. Why? What treasure was he working for? What treasure was he bleeding for? What treasure was he dying for? What was he storing up in heaven that he didn't already have? On the cross, Jesus died. I mean, we're all willing to die for our treasure. But what treasure did Jesus die for that he didn't already have? The creator, the governor, the sustainer of the universe. On the cross, you see Jesus emptying himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, I am out. I am out. Cosmically, I've lost the Father. I've lost you. I've lost God. I've lost my center. My center, my heart has been ripped out of me. I'm dying of a broken heart, you see. So that means I've lost my identity, I've lost my worth, I've lost my security, lasting security, and he gave it up. Lasting beauty, and he gave it up. And so now he's ruined, and he's withering, and he's fading and wasting away, rusting away. He's been destroyed. Oh, and he was bruised, and he was beaten. Like thieves broke in and took his life from him. Oh, and he became ugly, supremely ugly on the cross. People were repulsed by him. There was a criminal crucified next to him and said, and he was mocking him, you see? Why? 
The gospel is the ultimate love story. Because here you have the high king looking at his lover and saying, no one can save her. I have to save her. I will go and save her. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, said that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. The joy. You know what that means? That beneath the visible reality of death and blood and guts being spilt out, his tears and weeping, the crying and the mockery and the insults and the sweat and the working, there was a deeper reality. And that's what he was investing in. And it gave him joy. He was happy to undergo and endure. Why? So that you, his bride, would be safe forever. So he could make you beautiful, he would sacrifice his beauty. That you could have worth, he sacrificed his worth in him. Do you trust that? Do you trust Jesus? And yet we still sit there and say, no, but you see, I need to, I need to save a little. And we come up with lots of justifying schemes to explain why our circumstances are special and an exception. Jesus Christ was stripped naked before he went to the cross. Why? So that we would be clothed in his righteousness. And we're anxious about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear tomorrow. Jesus Christ bore the penalty of our sin in full. The Bible teaches that nothing mediated, nothing shielded Jesus from the infinite power and the force of the wrath of God that we deserved. And so Jesus became ultimately bad. I mean, he paid every price to absorb that wrath. Philippians chapter 2, the, the Apostle Paul says he became nothing and obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? The infinite became finite so that the finite would experience eternity. You see? And we're worried about tomorrow? Jesus is the ultimate treasure. That's why he's the most precious treasure. And yet he wasted away on the cross as the thieves came in to steal him away from the Father. Why? I mean, he had everything. What do you give to the man who has everything? What was so precious to Jesus that, that he didn't have that he was willing to die to get it? And the answer is, friends, the answer is what? It's you. His people. On the cross, what would it help him to endure all that pain and blood and sacrifice? He was singularly devoted to saving his people. He had clear eyes. So his whole body was full of light. The whole world became dark on the cross. And yet Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world. 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. In other words, you are his. You are his possession. In the Greek, that phrase, people belonging to God, that means treasure. You, the people, are his treasure. You are worth so much. Jesus is willing to give it all up for you. And to the degree that you know this, to the degree that you trust this, that's the only way that you're going to be free from the power of greed, from that deceiving, blinding power of money in your life. When you see that you are Jesus' treasure, a people belonging to God, then Jesus can become your treasure. And then you 
because the power of greed has been broken and you can become totally devoted to Jesus. You can loosen your grip on your wealth. Doesn't mean that you won't have wealth, but you can loosen your grip on your wealth. Rather, wealth will loosen its grip on you. You are free. That means you're free from anxiety. That means you're free from depression. Depression when you fail. That means you're free from arrogance. Arrogance when you succeed. That means you're free from the hard labor. Now, look, we all go to work. If you're working, if you're studying, whatever it is, it's hard work. That's not what you're free from. We all have to work. There was work before there was sin. What you're free from is the work underneath the work. Some of us are working because then we can prove ourselves. Some of us are working because it fulfills a cosmic need to justify why we exist. That is the hard labor. That is the slavery, and you can be free. When you look at the cross and see that Jesus Christ died for you, there's the only approval and validation that you need. You see, that's going to set you free. Jesus is the only master that if you submit yourself to that master, he says, I want you to rest in me. You can finally rest your souls. How do you apply this? I'm going to go very quick on this. One, when it comes to money, I mean, some of you, you met, you, you go to a community group, you're actively involved in your community groups, and, uh, you, you know, everybody has people in their community group where they don't say much, but then when it comes to money, they say a lot. When it comes to money, are you constantly fighting? I mean, is the idea of giving offensive to you? Does it make you defensive? I'm going to say it another way. Do you find yourself using your wealth as a distinguishing factor between yourself and other people? Meaning that like, you honor people who are successful and wealthy and dishonor, look down, or avoid or ignore uh, disfranchised people who, who are not? Is that you? Or I'll say it another way. Do you judge people because they own certain things? Or maybe because they can't own certain things? Do you judge people based on how they spend or how they don't spend? Oh, that person is so stingy. Does your job or your profession or your assets make you feel superior to other people? Look, in all these cases, your wealth has a power over you. Some of you are like, well, no, I'm not like those people. They're snobby and they're, they're, they're arrogant. And because, just because they have some money in their pockets, they're so snobby and they're arrogant and you judge them. Wealth has a power over you too, you see. Secondly, when you recognize that, admit that, confess that, repent of that, you end up giving more. Over and over, the Bible teaches in the New Testament or the Old Testament, doesn't matter, uh, the Bible teaches about generosity. Verse 22, in the Greek where it says, if your eyes are good, we said if your eyes are good, if your eyes are healthy, if your eyes are functional, if your eyes are singular, if your eyes are clear, it also means if your eyes are generous. Did you know that in the Greek? You should have a generous eye, always looking singularly for how God is entrusting his wealth in you to advance his kingdom. Thirdly, in the Greek, that generous eye, it's also synonymous with a sincere eye. So a healthy eye is a sincere eye. A clear eye is a sincere eye. A generous eye is a good eye, is a functional eye, is a sincere eye. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a sincere eye? In the ancient Greek or Roman times, you see, it was an age of art and sculptures. And, and, you know, sculptures, they would spend a ton of time and money on their art. Uh, sometimes, you know, they would cut corners. And, and you know, as they're cutting corners, what they're, you know, because they got to sell. They gotta get, that's how they make their livelihood. And while, while they're building their sculptures, what they're working on would crack. Well, what do you do? Do you just, you know, an honest sculptor will put it aside, either fix what's broken 
which is going to take more time and more money, or they're going to dismiss it altogether, scrap the project, start all over. What dishonest artists would do, artists that lack integrity, they would take wax and they would fill these cracks. They would cover up the cracks so that the people who are looking at, in the gallery would be deceived. They're buying worthless pieces of art. But in these galleries, there were certain artists that would post signs outside their shop with a phrase that would read, Sine Sera, without wax. You know what that means? My art has no cracks. I've taken the painstaking time to examine every piece of my art, and I am staking my reputation. That's all they had back in the day. That I'm staking my reputation to say that I'm certifying that this, this piece of artwork, I will stake my life and my reputation, my livelihood on this, has no cracks. You see? If I see a crack, I will never cover it up. I will either scrap it, start over, or I will address it. In other words, I am authentic. My art is certifiable. It is real. It is sincere. Sine sera. Sincere, without wax. Is that you? Do you know, acknowledge, what Jesus sacrificed for you? Do you recognize the love that is underneath all of your success? And do you know the love that is underneath all of your failure? That is the ultimate security and safety, you see? You don't need to cover up the cracks. If you understood that, you would inspect yourself to the degree where you would find every crack. Never cover it up, but address it because you are God's work of art. Donnie, that sounds really hokey. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are God's workmanship. You know what the word is in Greek? Poema. It's where you get the word poem. You are God's song. Address the cracks. This whole campaign that we are running, is it out of need? Of course there's need. But as I've said to you last week, my failure was not addressing it when there was no need. When we were very, very able to do everything that we could do without the money. You see? Because there is a deeper issue that resides in our hearts that we have failed to address over and over and over, the way the Bible does, 20 to 30 times more than it addresses sex. You see that? Now, if Jesus tithed his body and his blood for you, and you see his generosity for you, because you are his treasure, you are his treasure, then you can admit the power of money in your life. You will see the cracks. You won't hide it. You won't dismiss it. You won't cover it up. You will begin to address it. That is the beginning of freedom. This is a, we always talk about, hey, how can I make this practical? I'm about to give you a 10-minute presentation on how practical can you be. You see? Be on your guard. You can be free. And when you're free from the power of money, you're able to give. You're able to give as an act of freedom. You're able to give as an act of dependence. You're able to give as an act of humility. You can identify with the poor. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, you see, if you're just going to go to turkey drives and clothing drives and backpack drives and block parties and, and food deliveries. None of that came out of your pocket. I guess indirectly because we're all giving. Somebody's giving. But if you didn't give into that, 
Well, you see, it didn't come out of your pocket. It's easy to give from somebody else's giving, you see? And if you're able to do that, well, I'm giving my time, I'm giving my service, but you're not able to give with your own money, what you're saying is, ah, I can be on high, superior, looking down on somebody and serve them, but I will never get poor for them. I will never identify them. You know why? Because then you have a sense of superiority. And that is not a love that Jesus taught. Jesus Christ is the highest king who came down and identified with his people and became poor for our sakes so that what? We, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, the 21st century is going to be an amazing century. You know why? Because they say, some people say, some scholars say that more people are coming into the United States today on missions than we are actually sending out. See, when the rest of the world looks at us, they see us as a poor country. Wealthy beyond belief. Wealthy beyond imagination, and yet so spiritually poor. And so they're sending more missionaries into the United States than we are actually sending out. Do you know who they're targeting? They're targeting the wealthy and the educated. You know who that is? That's you. They're targeting you. Because imagine what would happen if the wealthy and the educated are transformed by the gospel. The impact on the world that the wealth that God has entrusted to you, it's not yours, it's God's money, that he's entrusted to you the way an investor entrusts money into a a broker. And if you till that soil well, if you till that field well, you're going to prosper too. You're going to enjoy some of that. But it's not yours. It's to advance his kingdom. Can you imagine the impact that the neighborhood would have, the city would have, the nation and the world would have? It begins with you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Metro Church Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's teaching and are looking for a gospel community, we invite you to join us. To learn more, visit metrophilly.org. To give, visit metrophilly.org give.